Hello, and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Friday, March 6th, 2015. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere using open web standards like HTML, CSS, JavaScript, REST, and JSON. This week, we talk about disappearing quotation marks, app cache gotchas, disillusionment with Docker, and ramping up with Ember. Please stay tuned. The Niche Podcast is next. Hello there. Hello. How you doing? How are you this morning? I am doing great. It's uh You sound like you're in a good mood. I am in a good mood. I had a whole bunch of whole bunch of deadline type things I've been working on late at night and uh I feel like I've got them all behind me. So I'm feeling and I and I had a whole bunch of meetings scheduled for today and everybody canceled. So I'm like, oh, yes. Nice. And it's Friday too. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'm I'm very thankful that today is Friday because I've been doing some some fun but difficult things mm-hmm. <laughs> with the Stripe API. Yeah, no kidding. I have to say, uh I am I think Stripe's still the best choice for what we're doing, but the bloom's a little bit off the rose for me. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. Um, especially with the recurring billing, mm-hmm. their subscription stuff, is it's not nearly as flexible as well. It's not nearly as flexible as we need it to be, and I feel like for a, for a SaaS company, our needs aren't really anything exceptional. Exactly, my thought. Exactly, it does like out of the box. It does basic functionality really pretty easily. It still takes a little bit mm-hmm. to get your head around, and then pretty quickly you run up against the limitations of it. Um, at least that was our experience. Yeah, the the built-in recurring billing stuff. I mean, you can, you can. And what we're probably going to end up doing at some point is just rolling our own logic for the recurring billing and and still use Stripe for the payment processing, which it would be great for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and we have we use it for for one-off purchases for things, and it's it's awesome for that. Mm-hmm. But if their um, uh, their their subscription stuff is pretty limited. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't add time to someone's. Uh, someone's subscription you can't um you know you can't do like more than a year they let you they let you set multiple intervals of a subscription billing period but they can't exceed one year so yeah and you and isn't it am i remembering correctly that you can't discount like the first month of it like oh, you, you can you can do that but you, you, can. you can you can do that through like a coupon and that only applies to the first month or it applies to all of them uh it depends on how you set up the coupon oh, okay cool yeah, it's. I mean, it's good. Stripe's really good, no doubt about it. It but, is. It's really good, and it takes care of a lot of the the really difficult and and tedious and expensive things for you. Right, but it's a lot of the built-in stuff. I was expecting to get more use out of it than we actually did. Yeah. All right. Welcome to this yeah. week in ragging on Stripe. <laughs> <laughs> I still. I wouldn't want to to try and duplicate everything Stripe does. No way. <laughs> right. I don't know. I I still would. I would pick it all over again. It's oh, just. Yeah. Uh, I, I, my I'm. I wouldn't say I'm in the trough of disillusionment, but mm-hmm. it's not utterly perfect, which I once thought. Yeah, I'm. I would pick it all over again. It's it's my go-to, and uh, for something like Castback or monthly subscriptions, it's great. If if all you're doing is basic monthly or annual billing, it's great. Mm. If you need something more flexible than that, then you'll probably want to roll your own logic for for the for recurring the recurring stuff. Right. Yep. Agreed. Well, folks. 
it's a value. We're adding value right out of the gate. <laughs> yeah, that was that was unintentional. That came out of nowhere. We hadn't yeah discussed it, bringing that up at all. But you know what it is. It, you know what it is because you were like, mm-hmm. oh, it's, I'm glad it's Friday because like dealing with money math is just horrible. Yeah. Any kind of account. Any time you go near accounting, or at least me, when I go near it, it just makes my skin crawl. Yeah, I have a friend who's an accountant, and she loves it. And I'm just like, no, back away. Back away. <laughs> It's like I I automate as much of my monthly bill paying as I can and then ignore it. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yep. Well, guess what? Yes. Episode 150. 150. Can you believe it? Welcome to episode 150. Almost three years. That's crazy. That's cuckoo panties. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a cooperism. Uh... It, it, actually, it's uh, a friend of Erica made that up. I don't, I don't know Ugh. where she, I don't know where she's from, but that's just a. I think she's from South Carolina, and like, like that's what you call crazy old ladies. They're cuckoo panties. <laughs> that sounds like a South Carolina thing. Yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. No, when Cooper was little, we used to ask him when he was just learning how to talk. We'd, I'd go, he'd be doing something crazy, and I'd be like, Cooper, what? Are you cuckoo or bonkers? Be like cuckoo and bonkers, and then he'd like run yeah, around the house like crazy. I think I've seen a video of that. <laughs> Probably. Anyway, um, cool. Well, let's dive right into episode one fifty, shall we? Hey, let's. As always, we'll start with some quick housekeeping. We've got a uh, some errata, a correction. Not to be no, confused with erotica. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Leave that for another show. Yeah, that's another show. That's that's the that's the the niche after dark. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a line extension. <laughs> um, okay, let's see. So last week we talked about um, a product that is a physical button in the real world that you can uh, connect to your phone and link it up to one discrete action on your phone. So if you wanted to say um, just put a timestamp in a Google doc. Uh, every time you had a coffee, you could link up the button to your phone and just press the button, whether it's in your pocket or on the counter next to the coffee maker or whatever. And, uh, I incorrectly recalled that it was called click C L I Q, but it is actually called flick F L I C. I can see how you got those mixed up. Yeah. Four letter words with an L I in the middle. Um, but click the reason I part to make matters more confusing, click is a similar product. Um, but it's a, it's a, instead of being a, instead of being flick, a smart button, it is click a smartphone case, which. Oh, right. Right. It It has multiple buttons on it. Exactly. It does the same thing basically, but they're built into the phone case. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a a free, a free floating. It's not a free range button. (laughs) (laughs) Precisely. Um, okay, let's see. So that was just, uh, that's, that's just the housekeeping. Just wanted to correct folks on that one and flicks on, um, Indiegogo. I actually had a hard time finding it cause I recalled that it was on Kickstarter and it was not, but, ah. uh, yeah, super fun. So looking forward to that. And the reason we talked about it while we're, while we're on the subject was because of the do button from, uh, Ift. Ift. Mm-hmm. Which I, interestingly, I'll just might as well do this in housekeeping, update the folks, that um, I, I was using it as my George Medicine button, <clears throat> and I just, it doesn't work for me. No? No, it's not working for me. I tried a couple of different variations, and it just doesn't, it's, it's this is just one of, the, it's a great example of 
the importance of having a physical dedicated button in the real world. It's still too much friction. To it's just... still too much friction. I just never trust myself. Did I press the button or didn't I? Yeah. Can't remember. Did I don't you, Did you take out your phone? And I mean, you give them the medicine first thing in the morning, don't you? I do it. Yes. But first time in the morning, first, first thing in the morning for me is a different time almost every day. I know, but still the point is like when I first wake up, I may not even be fully awake and my phone may be nowhere near me. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm half asleep yeah. when I do it. Yeah. My phone's almost always on me because since we have a little kid, if you get trapped with a little kid with no phone, then it's yeah. like a horrible, you have to pay attention to your child and that's, that's not good. Right. <laughs> um, you have to parent. Yes. But now the, um, the button, uh, having a physical button in the basket with all of the stuff, uh, would is critical. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that's critical, and I don't know if it does this or not, is that I need to get a push notification that it worked. I need ah. to get some kind of notification that it works. So I could press it. Okay, great. How do I know the Bluetooth wasn't down? Between yeah. Some, the thing some the kind of confirmation. Yep. So, uh, and this it was really exacerbated because at the end of February, like normally what I do is I print out this sheet of paper and I mark off each uh, injection. He has, right. I have to give him shots. And the, uh, and we, I chucked my printer. Like, like in February, I was like, I can't stand this printer anymore. I, I <laughs> resent the fact that I have to print anything out and we're getting, getting rid of it. Every time I go to use it, it takes 15 minutes to warm up and then nothing comes out of it. And I have to replace, right. it's like every time I print one piece of paper, it's, it's once, once every three months I print out a piece of paper and every time I have to replace the ink. Yeah. And it, and then you have to I'll realign it and it takes like, it takes like a half hour and 15 sheets of paper to get it right. Yeah. And 45 minutes of me yelling yeah. at it. Right. So finally, like the scene in office space, I was just, I just got, I was like, this thing's out of here. And, uh, but so the, the problem is I ran out of my sheets of paper mm. for Georgia's day. It's the one thing that I need to print out for sure. Pretty much everything else I can get by with like signing in a PDF or whatever. So, so I really, it really put the button to the test, the do button to the test because I didn't even have a backup plan. Right. And it's been terrible. I'm like, oh my can't remember i don't see the the entry no confirmation yeah it's yeah. so then so you so you open up your phone you press the button and oh seeing so what i did so so i had it setting a timestamp in a google doc but that didn't work at all because there was no notification that it worked mm -hmm. and it didn't always work immediately it, it did always eventually work but, but not right away but not Ugh. instantly so Ugh. i know i need i don't trust it so then you don't know, right? You have to wait and hope, right? And hope you don't forget in that time, right? That you needed it there, right? So you've got that cognitive load that you're carrying around. So that doesn't work for me. So then I was like, you know what? You can switch the do button so that it just um, sends an email, a blank email with like a predefined subject and like uh, uh, a GPS location and all that stuff. So I don't know why you would normally mm -hmm. use this, but I was like, oh, I'll do that. So I'll press the button and then I'll get an email notification that I just got an email. And so I'll be like, Oh, it, it worked. Yeah. But I, th I don't know what it is, but I, th I don't think it sends it immediately. I think it cues it in if, so it's not always mm -hmm. instantaneous. And when I say not instantaneous, I'm standing there for 30 seconds, 60 seconds. Well, then, then that, that's not a do button. That's a get around to it eventually button. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't work for me. So, so still the search continues. <laughs> Need to get a flick. Yeah, exactly. 
Or maybe you can get a maybe you can get a Pebble Smart Band with a button on it. That's what I was. That's what I'm actually. I was like, Like that was one of my thoughts. Like if the button was right on my watch. Yeah, and it was dedicated to that one thing. Yes. So if I could if I could program one of the buttons on my watch to do exactly that, that'd be one thing. And the other thing is that I get an instant notification that it worked. Mm -hmm. Then I'd be good to go. It's like the um the uh the barcode scanner we have. Right. The haiku. It like it tells you that worked or it didn't work. Yeah. Yeah, you need them. Um, yeah, it needs feedback. Need, need feedback, yeah. Anyway, so user experience problem with the do button. <laughs> it's a great name, though. I feel like it, it should it should fix my hairdo. It's like a, <laughs> like a do button. A do button. You, you just press, press it in the morning, it. and you suddenly have perfect hair. <laughs> get like you can keep pressing it to get like a beehive, and then like right. a like a greaser. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'd be great. Come downstairs, Eric would be like, "You got to press that do button a couple more times." <laughs> Beehive's not working for me. <laughs> um, all right. Enough that. Leia look. <laughs> That's a definitely a good look for me. <laughs> I'd pay money for that. Yeah. Oh my God. On you, not me. I haven't got the legs for that hairdo. <laughs> so shall we move on to the bug report? Uh, yes, let's. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. The bug report this week. I see. I don't know what this bug is yet. So you told me, you're like, remind me okay. to talk about the quotation mark bug. So I'm looking yes. forward to hearing this one. Yes, this one this one made me laugh. It made me cry. It made me yeah. <laughs> um so in sticky albums we have uh well in a a bunch of we have kind of a wizard there that lets you build things and, and in that wizard um we're auto saving stuff. So you, you type in text and Ajax call is made on key up after a short delay and everything gets automatically saved to the database. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. We ran into an instance where sometimes quotation marks weren't being saved. It was saving, but not the quotation marks. It was saving, but not the quotation marks. Uh-huh. And so my first thought was, okay, this is probably some kind of encoding issue in the stuff coming in from the JavaScript, because quotation marks are special. Yeah, yeah. So I, I pulled up the, the console in, in Chrome, and I checked the data going out. It's like, eh, it looks fine. Pulled up the Rails console. I checked the data coming in. It's still fine because I could not reproduce this bug. <laughs> uh-huh. I, I tried for literally probably th- two or three hours to reproduce this bug. Oh yeah, and I could not could not do it. But I, I checked the data coming in on both sides, and it all you know everything looked fine. Everything was encoded and escaped and properly and all that. Then I, so then I you know I and then I, I pulled up and I checked the database because first I, th- I first I thought well maybe it's just not displaying them for some reason but no I checked the database and the quotes weren't even being saved in the database hmm. so I thought well maybe Rails is doing something to the string that's causing it to strip out the quotes and so I I googled until I'd bruised my Googler <laughs> <laughs> and I all I could find were a, like tons and tons of articles about how to how to get Rails to do this. <laughs> How to make Rails strip out the quotes? Oh. <laughs> which is which is all incredibly which is incredibly simple. It's like a one liner. I don't know why there needs to be twenty thousand results for it on Google, but <laughs> whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh, but nothing about you know Rails doing this when it wasn't supposed to. Hmm. So then at one point, Shannon, I'm so thankful for this. Shannon managed to catch a video of the bug happening. Yes, people, please do videos of your bugs. Yes. It's the best thing ever. Yes, and so, and so she did the video, and I noticed it wasn't like 
when it was failing in the example that she had provided, she wasn't doing like, okay, I'm typing long, I'm going to open a quote, I'm going to type some words, I'm going to close my quotes and go on. It was no. She was taking text that was already in the box and like wrapping quotes around it. Like click here, add a quotation mark, click here, add another quotation mark. Okay. And I thought, huh, that's, that's odd behavior. It was I mean, never I mean, sending because she wasn't keying it, up. Well, no, she was keying up because she was typing the quotation mark. Oh, right. Okay. She was, she was typing, typing in the quotation mark, and I thought, hmm, okay. So then I, I tried in my own account to, to reproduce that many times, many times. I couldn't. So I logged into the account she was having problems with and tried it from there. It was her account, and mm. I, I still I could not reproduce it. <sighs> and I was about to go insane. And, <laughs> and then at one point, as I was you know, clicking around and adding quotes to things, I just, like, I kind of accidentally, when I let up on the keys, kind of accidentally left my finger on the shift key, like a oh. couple of milliseconds long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In the JavaScript, I'm detecting copy and paste events. So I had a filter in there to ignore key presses for modifier keys uh. on my key up event. So if you happen to let go of that shift key... Uh, after like the it was the, the it was the last happened. key you let up on then it it was not it had nothing to it was do not with sending. it had nothing to do with rails or encoding or <laughs> or anything and i had even added i had added that filter that i had in there for the modifier keys i'd added exceptions to it i had apparently forgot to add one for the shift key oh i love that and one I just oh wow uh, it was entirely by accident that i was even able to reproduce it Wow! As soon as I as soon as I did, like I wanted to just like jump out the window and <laughs> yeah, it's, like it's the lazy pinky bug, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow! Oh, I love that. Yeah, those are my favorite. Yeah, that. Um, I so mean, I've never, user I've error, never laughed. Basically. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. I was like, well, just type properly, and it won't happen. <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. Yeah. So that was a good two or three hours of my life wasted. <laughs> How many keyboards did you go through? <laughs> uh, yeah, I was ready to smash some. Man, that's great. Uh, well, this is going to be a real letdown after that one. <laughs> Sorry. This next bug isn't even a bug. <laughs> well, mine was, mine was more stupidity than bug. I mean, yeah. there was eventually a bug there. but <laughs> There's a fix, but I don't know if I'd call that a bug. Yeah. I guess so. But uh, yeah, so I was, well, this is actually kind of similar. I was um, putting offline support into sticky apps, which we already have in albums, but we've been holding mm -hmm. off on apps because the development is, has been iterating so quickly, it would have just drove everyone crazy. Um, but so finally, we needed to put on, uh, add offline support. So add a manifest file to the HTML tag and, you know, store cache all of the assets locally so you can not only view it offline but also dramatically increase the load time yeah because some is, of those apps are big oh yeah like like 120 requests for really big ipad retina images um so you know photo galleries in many cases mm -hmm. so it's it's uh it's super helpful and fonts too so caching all that stuff now but i you know so i and i set it up and in fact, apps is dramatically simpler than albums. Albums oh, yeah. is super complicated. Apps, um, is, apps is simpler on so many levels. Yeah. 
Uh, so, um, so I was like, oh, this is going to be a slam dunk. I just need to, basically what I do is I, um, turn on Charles, which is a network proxy, you know, it was basically a network traffic sniffer Mm -hmm. and I load the page. I cut and paste all of the requests that happened out of Charles. I paste them into a text document and you're practically done. So it's like, as long as you, as long as you triggered all of the network requests that are going to be triggered. Right. Uh, and then you just add a network section at the bottom, put an asterisk in it for all the Ajax calls that happen when you are online and, and off to the races. So, um, actually two things happened. One was that, um, some of the images were hosted at HTTPS URLs mm-hmm. and I, I would swear that it used to be fine to host mixed HTTP and HTTPS URLs in the same manifest if the manifest itself was served over HTTP. Not, See, I don't remember. So. Yeah, if, if, the, if the manifest itself was served over HTTPS, all of the, the rules were different. I might be remembering the rules wrong, but I would swear that that was the way it worked. That makes sense, because you can load mixed content if you're loading it over HTTP and you don't get any errors or warnings. Right. But if you try and load mixed content over HTTPS, you'll get, you'll get notices. Right. And there was also an additional, uh, additional possible gotcha with whether or not it was the same domain, same origin. So mm-hmm. in this case, it was not only was, was it, it's an HTTP manifest hosted on one origin and then it was HTTPS links in the manifest to a different origin, which might have, might be the difference. Ah, yeah, because the the HTTPS links were going out to S3. Right. So no big deal. Once I figured that out, I I fixed it. Uh, But it was not obvious why those requests were happening. So eventually I was like, well, what's different about these? It's a different domain. It's a different protocol. So let me try the protocol and boom, it worked. Yeah. Um, Okay. So so that was fine. But the um, I couldn't get it was weird. Like I'm 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 using uh, Chrome on the desktop with the developer tools open and I'm I would navigate to the page. I'd see the app cache um, download in the Mm -hmm. console. It says, you know, one of 100 links downloading. Okay, download application cached. You know, uh, it throws an event at the end that says cached. So it worked. It didn't fail. It always tells you if it failed. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I'd go to the page again. And what I would expect to see is two log entries that say um, checking cache and then no update. Right. And every time it would re-download the whole thing. Oh. And I was like, that would be so annoying. Oh yeah, because because that is the expected behavior if it didn't finish if it downloading, didn't finish caching it right. But you were getting messages saying that it had successfully successfully cached the page. Exactly, and and uh, so if anything does interrupt the download process, it'll just throw the whole cache away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it won't throw that cached event at the end. Another thing that bit us one time in the past was that um, I was if. It checks the manifest twice. It checks it at the beginning of the process to see if there are any differences. And then it yeah. checks it at the end of the process to see if it changed during the download. Yeah. You were accidentally caching the manifest, weren't you? Uh, we flirted with that, but we never actually implemented it. But the the um, the issue was whenever I pinged the manifest, it was updating the modified date inside right. of it. So every right. time I pinged it, it was a new manifest. And so it would right. never cache <laughs> That took a while to fix. But so I, I suspected something like that, but I was like, no, this thing is pure static at this point. I, it, wasn't, it wasn't even dynamic yet. So long story short, I come to find out that, and I, it, this could have been this way for a long time because I haven't tested AppCache in, in probably, 
I don't know, maybe three or four months. Mm-hmm. So I don't know when it happened, but Chrome just sort of silently updates in the background. And one of the things that evidently has updated is that on the network panel, not even on the console where you actually see the app cache stuff happening, and also not in the resources panel where you can inspect the app cache. (laughs) On on the the network panel. On the network panel, there is a checkbox for disable cache, which I believe is checked by default. Uh, Or at least I, I always have it checked because it means I'm doing development. I do not want anything cached. But... I'm 100% certain that it never used to apply to the app cache. It was just the regular browser cache. Yeah. Uh, no, you're right. It didn't. Well, now it does. Well, now it does. <laughs> and there's no, I, I, I really, I really think they should have changed the UI to say disable, to, to clarify what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Disable cache and application cache or disable browser cache and application cache or something disable offline cache two separate check i wish they would do two separate checkboxes actually sometimes you want one and not the other yeah so um and i i guess i'm not totally surprised i mean i i was surprised by it but we there was recently an update which i think we mentioned on the show i think we did where when you have the dev tools open you can long click or you can long press on the refresh button in the URL bar next to the URL bar and you get three options one of them being empty cache and hard reload which also throws away the app cache Mm -hmm. so you know obviously they started thinking a little bit more about the app cache and and uh, basically that's good but the the lack of communication about it is yeah it's annoying so uh, you know probably two hours of me just being like pouring over like the simplest i'm like staring at this document that's totally simple yeah. i'm like what what am i t- what, why are you broken i'm checking my hd loading a thousand times and yeah am i sending the wrong headers in the ht access file or something uh-huh. no nothing's uh, in the HD access file. i'm like looking everywhere yeah with the testing it on the phone it's caching on the phone works on the phone just doesn't work in the browser and so finally because the thing is when you close the dev tools you can't debug anything so you're like i so it, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's cached, and I can't shut off my wireless connection to test it because that's that's I could I guess, but that's you could just connect way your computer. Too, yeah, but that's it's way too annoying. It, yeah, it's like not a good workflow. But anyway, I could have done that. Be like, okay, it is cached. It's loading. I'm not online. I wouldn't have thought to do it. <laughs> wow. So anyway. Yeah. If you are, you're. I know you're, dear listener. You're. You don't have any. You're not using app cache because you're not crazy. <laughs> but if you are crazy and you are using AppCache, <laughs> then tick that box. Yeah. Anyway. Or don't. Either way, just know what it does. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we can move into the feature. Okay. So this week we have a couple things to talk about. Um, we've been talking about Docker and Ember for a couple of weeks, teasing that we were going to have something to report on that. And it sounds like it sounds like you do have some progress. I have I have some progress and some disappointments. Mm. For Docker, for example, Docker is, yeah, it's probably still awesome. I'm sure there's just something about it that I'm not getting, but it's it's very very non-obvious and creating enough friction that I'm just my excitement about Docker has kind of dropped off a little. That's a bummer. Yeah, I remember telling you telling you a couple of weeks ago that I had managed to get it set up with a Rails app, and I had. Um, yeah, had my my environment set up and and Rails and Sidekick and and all that stuff and mm-hmm. working and, and it was all it was all going good and it was uh, but then I tried adding new gems to my Rails app 
And so I ran the Docker command to install the gems. And ran ran the Docker Docker web command, install the gems. And what is that that tells Doc? What does that do? It basically, it's, you're executing a a um, a bash command on the virtual machine. Okay, so or on on the Docker in, inside the Docker container. So instead of like, is that instead of like a bundle install, or is that you do both? Basically, I'm telling telling Docker to do a bundle install. Wow, God, it's so abstract. It's like yeah, it's like turtles all the way down. Yeah, yeah, it's it's basically like if I weren't like pretend there's a virtual machine running in the background, and I just happen to be not logged into it. It's like sending the message to that virtual machine saying, "Hey, run this command at, at the, run this at the command line." Gotcha. Um, so, so I did that and ran the, the bundle install and I could see the output there where it was installing the new gems. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I would load up the web app and it would say, ah, I can't find these gems you just installed. Hmm. So I thought, well, okay, that's weird, but whatever. I restarted the rails app. I can't find these gems you just installed. Mm -hmm. Maybe I did something wrong, ran the command again, showed it installing the gems again. I thought, and then I said, nope, can't find these gems. So I thought, fine, whatever. It's not persistent I, for some reason? I, I redid, like I completely redid, like did the Docker build again and just like rebuilt the container mm -hmm. with the new gems in the gem file. Mm -hmm. And just like, let's just completely redo it here. And what, how much, like what kind of effort does that entail? Is that like a long compilation was, process? That was like a one-liner, but it, it, I mean, it, it took a few minutes. But anyway, so I did that and... um it still, it, it just did. I tried to re rerun the app, and it said, nope, can't find the gems. What the hell? I know, exactly. It's just I, I couldn't get the gem. The gems would not install. Huh. And so, I mean, every time, every single time I ran the, the bundler command, it would download and install the gems. Like, like it, you know, like it wasn't, like they were never there. Mm. And, um, yeah, I just... So I've got some Clearly, guesses, I'm, but... Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's something that I'm doing wrong. Like I'm imagining what, it's being sent to the wrong Docker instance. Is that possible? No, I don't know. Because, I mean, I've got everything. I'm, I'm using, using uh, it's called Fig. It's mm -hmm. just kind of um, configure all of the Docker stuff. And, I mean, there's, there's I was running two, two Docker instances, one for the database and one for the web server. Uh -huh. And I was very very much definitely sending it to the web server and the database okay. one doesn't even have ruby installed on it anyway so it wouldn't you know it never would have successfully ran the command right and then um, re and rerunning it would have said these are already installed yeah and then so it just they they just they weren't sticking and were, were they maybe installed like under the wrong user again uh, it would tell you that they were already there yeah and it would be the wrong user every time right <laughs> And and it was the same user that the the other gems in the app were installed under initially, and I mean, everything was working. Huh. So I mean, I'm sure it was something that I was doing wrong, but it was it was so like not obvious and and not um, I mean, not just that oh if something's hard I'm going to give up on it, but it was just it was so like I searched and searched for documents on and like okay why is this happening and it seemed I I just I. I don't know. I, yeah, you're I like, why don't I just out. use Vagrant? <laughs> yeah, like I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out, and I was in the middle of working on stuff, so I'm just like, forget this. Yeah, trash it all. Go back to Vagrant. Now let's say that run bundle. Everything worked great. Right. Let's say that that 
that did work though, let's say that that didn't, mm -hmm. that issue didn't occur. Were there mm -hmm. advantages up to that point of Docker over Vagrant? Um, just the, the not having to download many gigs of things mm. and, and assuming being able to update things, <laughs> assuming being able to update things actually works, uh, then yeah, that's a, that's a huge, a huge advantage because eh, you don't have to repackage your virtual machine image and re-upload re it somewhere every time you make one configuration change. So that, and, that feature is true. Like yeah, that, it wasn't yeah. misrepresented. Yeah. Okay, you cool. I feel like, I felt like I had a lot more freedom to sort of tinker with and control and configure the development environment without having to deal with the hassle of uh, machine images being out of date or, or needing to be updated. Mm. And this, so, you were doing this on your local Mac, right? Right. Right. And it is, was, is fig like a GUI application or is no, something no, a command fig line? Is a, it's just a command line. It's a configuration thing. Um, um, trying to remember it's uh, trying to remember. I think it's YAML files. Mm hmm. Let's you let's you use right YAML files to configure Docker. Yeah, well, it is a. I think it is a genuine, uh, a valid complaint about any new technology that if the documentation in the community isn't there yet, then it's going to be. I mean, that's the definition of bleeding edge. It's like mm -hmm. you you are you're on your own to figure it out. It's like back in the day before Stack Overflow and like, yeah, you had to actually read stuff. Right, and, and not that I'm not that I'm opposed to figuring things out that way. That's. You know, sometimes that's fun, but yeah. <laughs> when you're in the middle of trying to get other stuff done, you just, you don't want to deal with it. Right. Right. Totally. I, it sounds like it's got to be surmountable. I, I, I am I'm sure it is. Yeah. But I, I totally get you though. It's like, I'm just trying to get something done. I don't have time to mess with this right now. Yeah. And, and now I'm not sure. I don't really care as much, you know, mm. it's like, eh, okay, it's. It's cool. It has some advantages, but it's not. It's it's not all that in a bag of chips. Right, and and we're not really in a situation where we need need it, where yeah. we've got like tons of distributed teams and we're spinning up all sorts of um, right. instances we're in a, programmatically. We're in, a, we're in a nice to have, but not a need to have. Yeah, exactly. And if it's if it's more friction, then. If if it creates enough friction that it's causing delays in developing things, then it's no longer nice to have. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Well, that's I, yeah. I. I feel like the jury's out. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put that in the no, Deadpool. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not discounting it. I'm gonna look into it again at some point when I have the time to. Mm -hmm. Just trying to set it up on an app that I'm in the middle of working on and and need to get work done on is not the way to go. <laughs> right. Right. Well, cool. We'll stay tuned for more information on that. Maybe our, maybe our, our our listeners who are using Docker can provide some insight into what stupid thing I'm doing wrong because it's <laughs> it's bound to be me doing something stupid. I don't. Were you maybe holding the shift key down? Uh, you know that might have been it. <laughs> Just lightly dragging. Lightly, lightly, slightly lazy pinky finger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know I was doing that at, at the end of Rails Rumble. You remember? Yes, that's right. I do remember I do that, that when I'm coding and I get tired. Yeah, you get lazy pinky syndrome. I do. <laughs> That'd be a great band name, Lazy Pinky. Lazy Pinky. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, so um, well, thanks for that update. And you, it sounds like you've made at least enough progress with Ember that you've got some feedback. There. Yes, Ember, I like very much. Cool. Um, I have gone through the the ember training course that we linked to a couple of weeks ago in the docs mm -hmm. in the show notes mm -hmm. 
And I would say it was worth every penny that someone else paid for it. (laughs) (laughs) How long was the training? Uh, It's about nine hours of video, I think. Wow. So, uh, but yeah, definitely, definitely worth it because just looking at Ember from the outside, um, a lot of what's on the web as far as community contributed stuff is getting out of date because Ember is changing pretty quickly to some new new sort of architectures and the official official docs are all great but mm-hmm. so the barrier to entry is kind of high and the the learning curve is at points pretty much a vertical line <laughs> uh, but uh so yeah that that course was so totally worth it um even even if i'd had to pay for it myself i would have <laughs> cool um so now if the dear listener is wondering, geez, that sounds cool, but I don't know if it applies to me. Like what, what is the use case where someone could say, I should really drop I should the really, coin on that because it's going to save, you know, save my bacon or it's worth the it, whatever 400 bucks. It's, to, worth, it's worth learning. Yeah. Like I assume it's for large scale JavaScript type applications. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. For, um, and um, great for, great for single page applications and adding, uh, like for instance, in sticky albums, um, obviously our builder is not is not a single page application, mm-hmm. and I don't think I would want it to ever be a single page application because we have so many different types of logic in mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. dealing with so many so many models that are extremely different from one another. Yeah, just fundamental. But yeah, yeah. But on those pages, like where we have big wizards that mm-hmm. allow you to build complex things, taking each one of those individual wizards and turning that into a single page application within the larger app um is is something i'm very interested in doing so cool so things like that um and since the app already has a heavy javascript requirement then mm -hmm. you know yeah yeah if you're working on things that already like you said already have a heavy javascript requirement um and building like any any sort of instance where you find yourself building like a, a sort of a sort of rich like thick front end client for something. Yep. Um but yeah, it's I you know, I I'd said initially a couple of weeks ago that it was a front end MVC JavaScript framework and that's that's a little bit incorrect. Um it kind of was more so initially, but now they're they're moving now toward more toward away from the the sort of model view controller to a a component based system where basically you're building these components of Components that are a combination of JavaScript and HTML. It's you know like you would like, and you would treat them like a like a web component or like a widget that you're you're plugging in to your page. Mm-hmm. And they're broadcasting. They can they can listen to events and then they can broadcast events out of them that you can then listen for in other components or you can send things directly between components and and that sort of thing. And it's it's very powerful. Um, I am very interested in this new model, uh, yeah. the, the programming model for doing web stuff in that. I mean, it's very object oriented. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of uh, Coco, as a matter of fact, the yeah, way it's, it's like, like messaging between objects. Yeah, it's like building things out of Lego bricks. Mm. But so, <laughs> uh, like, it's it's, but it's weird because it's a shift back pendulum wise. It's not a shift back. It's a shift to a new place. It's a shift away from where we are, but not back to the old place. So, it, right. it, correct me if I'm wrong, because you're the one that knows about it. But from I think web components in general are a whole new way of programming stuff 
in the browser and I'm not sure I'll, I, I think it's not going to be, I, I'm, I feel very comfortable saying that it's not going to be a one size fits all solution. It's going to be because nothing is, but mm -hmm. like, it'll be good for some stuff and it will be a pain in the butt for other stuff because you, because the way that things like when unobtrusive JavaScript happened and we stopped to inlining CSS in our HTML tags and like yeah. when that shift happened, it very discreetly separated the HTML layer from the, let's call it the presentation layer, the CSS. And then the behavior mm -hmm. layer was in JavaScript, but there are these, so now you've got these, the separation between those three layers, which is nice, but there's no vertical separation. It's this gigantic right. JavaScript layer and this gigantic CSS layer and this gigantic HTML layer. Yeah. And the component, the components kind of, they kind of squish your HTML and your JavaScript at least. You can still leave the CSS. It's all decorative. Leave that separate. Mm -hmm. But they kind of squish your HTML and CSS back together where there's, I mean, there's separation in the sense that they're in, in different files, but they're, they're not separate in the sense that you have markup in your HTML that's related to a, a binding to a JavaScript action or a, a, a JavaScript function. Wait, say that again. It's like you have you have attributes in your HTML mm -hmm. that, um, like for instance, in your HTML you have like a, well, like a like a mustache template or something. Mm -hmm. And you and then you can have attributes in you can have attributes in your mustache template that are modified man manipulated through the JavaScript and all that. I mean, it's not the the separation of H of the HTML and the JavaScript is not they're they're more closely linked. It sounds exactly like web web components, which if people aren't familiar with are really it's weird because on the one hand you're used to them even though you mm -hmm. don't you don't realize you're using them, but like uh, right. like. Uh, it's a like a form control mm -hmm. or like a, a calendar pop-up in a newer browser that's yep. you can the view the yeah it's html and css embedded mm -hmm. inside of encapsulated inside of this tag that's input type equals date yeah and you can actually view the shadow dom in i think that's what it's called in the uh in chrome desktop you just right click on the uh yeah you can you can drill Did into chrome it get rid of the shadow dom that's, I think they, yeah, someone killed that spec, but, but I, th I think it's more of the name that was killed. Mm. Uh, the concept is still there. You can still drill yeah. into, um, yeah, Shadow Dom's not the right term, but it's related. But you can drill into a component and actually see the guts of, like, the styling and HTML. And the calendar widget. Of yeah. the calendar widget. And what web components are is it just allows you to arbitrarily create widgets like that and then represent them in your HTML as like a custom tag that you created, like um, table view or something like that. Yeah, and, and Ember is very much like this. And they're, they're very much, very, very much in, in favor of, of that model and, and supporting that. Mm. So they, they will play well with web components. Ember will play well with web components. Yeah, I think... For complex stuff, I think it's a great way to go mm -hmm. for really complicated applications where you're, especially when you're reusing interface components. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it's like when you're saying there's, like right now we have that sort of separation. You have you have your decorative layer of your CSS and you have your presentation layer of the HTML and then you have your, your functional layer of the JavaScript. And with components, you don't have that degree of separation. It, it, everything's more tightly coupled. 
but you have separation of okay here's here's my table of song titles and and here's my album information and here you you get you get separation it's just in a different way yeah right and i think it's going to take a lot of getting used to because the like you can at least with web components which i have looked into you can expose certain things from inside the widget to mm-hmm. be stylable for example but you can hide the styling of other things so like the oh, marcus playing maracas behind me <laughs> um you can you can hide certain things from being stylable uh like um like like you could put together a complex widget that that essentially created its own like scrolling mechanism and had its own mm-hmm. gutter and thumb and all that stuff and you could say oh i will let the the um developer style this or the designer style this with regular css like you could target things inside of the widget with like that colon syntax right the pseudo selector yeah right and you can do that and you can already do that like people are you're already used to doing this mm-hmm. but um just not you're not used to being able to create them so I, it's going to be interesting to to see how that plays out. I think it's a good thing to have, definitely, as an option. But, of course, everyone's going to go bananas with it at first. <laughs> you know? And then it's going to be like everything's going to be reinventing yeah. the wheel. Like, I'm going to create a, a login form widget. And you just put, like, a login form tag. Actually, that sounds great. Okay. Actually, a, that does, yeah. Yeah, put yeah. a login form tag. And then you have, you'll have, at, it'll be, like, angle bracket login form and then um you could have you you'd specify like attributes, attributes. For the labels exactly so you'd expose certain certain it's like parameters on a function yeah so you'd pass yeah. in the parameters into the guts and then it would God, i kind of love that now that i think about yeah. it yeah yeah and i mean that's and that's that's what i was trying to articulate earlier and failing at miserably with ember <laughs> um <laughs> about about ember using using the the attributes in the dom um <clears throat> Yeah, and the, you said at one point you said attributes in the mustache, which I think they should call crumbs. Crumbs, crumbs in the mustache. Exactly. Nice. Uh, actually, uh, Ember uses um, handlebars. Gotcha. Yeah, Yehuda. Yeah, yeah, and but it, I like it a lot. It it took a took a definitely took some work to get my head around, and I don't consider myself anywhere near an expert in it. I'm still very much a beginner, but I'm at the point. I'm at the point now where the way it all works makes sense to me. I understand the logic behind mm-hmm. the way everything is set up. I just have to get used to using it. Right. And, um, but, but yeah, I mean, we're talking being able to, to make those widgets, especially for things you reuse. I mean, how many times across both of our applications do we have a, a drop zone where you upload one or more photos? Oh yeah. Can you imagine? You yeah. just pass it like an action parameter. Like you would mm-hmm. with a regular form or something, oh, that would be that would be so great. Oh, yeah, you would you'd have all these components built out for the the things, or or how many places do we enter like all of our all of your social media mm-hmm. information? Mm-hmm. You know, building building those out into components, and then you're you know you're just your your markup for your your wizard just becomes this this mustache template of very minimal HTML and just like. Component, 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 done. Yeah, and imagine when it's real web components. It'll just yeah. be real tags. <laughs> right. So open open angle bracket, social media button. Yeah. 
Facebook button. Yeah, exactly. And then inside of that, we'll have all of the JavaScript that it needs to do its job. God, that, right. was, that is going to be pretty interesting. Huh. Very cool. Well, it, and it sounds like we can play with it today, essentially. With the, uh, do you with feel Ember, like, no. I mean, the must uh, handlebars is, I know, way more powerful than mustache, but would you say that there's a big learning curve there for the basic stuff, or is it pretty straightforward when you look at it? Uh, not for, for the very basic stuff. Uh, it's very, in a lot of ways, it's very similar to mustache. So if you're, if you're just doing very basic things, you should have no problem doing that in handlebars. Mm -hmm. Um, when you, when you get into more complicated things, like you're creating input elements in it and and that sort of thing, um, which I I don't think mustache does. Mm -hmm. Um, no, you mean like almost like a rails helper? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it does. Yeah. Like a rails form helper kind of, um, you know, I wouldn't say it's a learning curve in terms of dif- of, of difficulty, because it's 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 a very it's just a it's just a markup language. It's not at all it's not at all difficult in that sense. Um, it's just a matter of you know need a, a quick reference guide somewhere to know what sorts of things are available. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know. Yep. Sweet. Well, that's pretty exciting. I'm gonna, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna yeah, take so a look I'm, at it. I'm not gonna. I know I'm not gonna dive into it. That's for sure. It's not the kind. <laughs> like Ember is not. Ember, I think, is good for the kind a kind of app that I don't enjoy building. Right. And th- I'm actually thinking about. Um, there's a uh, Meteor masterclass that I'm thinking about signing up for. Mm. That um, I think it's about. I think it's also about four hundred bucks, four or five hundred bucks. And to like to me, that is the kind of. That, yeah, you were you were super excited about Meteor, weren't you? Yeah, it's it feels very mobile friendly to me and it's the kind of thing that i will never i would never be able to it it allows you to create apps that i will never be able to like i will never hand code (laughs) an app like meteor like a meteor can like i created with meteor in 10 minutes right so um i'm actually super curious about that yeah i i I liked meteor a lot um completely different use case from ember Mm -hmm. but but i did i the the little the only really thing I've thing I've really done with it is I redid my Hue Lights control panel, mm. but I I I enjoyed working with it a lot. And if I have you know if, if I have case, a case to do so again, I certainly will. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I look at them as entirely different things because they are. But oh yeah, but dra- yeah, they're drastically I'm, different. yeah, they're the the types of stuff you're. Well, I mean, you're you're building. I like smaller smaller yeah. things than I do. I'm so much more focused on, like, I couldn't care less about desktop Mm -hmm. web applications. I I mean, (laughs) you know, I just, I'm a phone guy and it's like mobile does not reward feature richness. Yeah. It's all about the in out. I mean, like we started off this conversation saying how I have a single, an an app on my phone that is one button that you press and does nothing else. And it doesn't even work (laughs) that great. It's not working for you. (laughs) Yeah, but that's the kind of thing. Like, that's the kind of app that I like. I like, I like lightweight, sort of. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Like, you should build your, you should build your do button. You should build a uh, a button for this, an app for this in Meteor. Yeah, and I mean, it's so it, easy. Run it on your local network, and you'd get your instant confirmation because it would show you right away. <laughs> yeah, that's a possibility. That's a good. That's a good idea. Yeah, you could. Um, yeah, that'd be. And then you could, because I have like my my Hue Lights control panel. I'm I'm running it on my local network, and I just I have it running in the background on my Mac, and then I've just got it saved on my, um, on my phone. Mm. 
I mean, I could do a, a do button style app in an hour with just a regular mm -hmm. Ajax request. Right. You well, know, that's true too. Yeah. yeah. That sent me a push notification, an SMS notification. God, that's what I should do. That's be so easy. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> but you had something you wanted to surprise me with. Oh, yeah. I, we're already at an hour. So, oh, are we? Yeah, we can save you that can for next week. You can surprise me with it next week. Yeah, I'll surprise you with it. I'll probably surprise you with suspense. it before next week. The suspense. Yes, it's um, it's a it's one of my patented, very grandiose predictions. Oh, this will be fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. So we, we'll save that for next week. We'll leave that as a okay. teaser. Yeah. Wow. Well, hour already. Wow. Yeah. Can you believe it? Oh. That's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we hope you join us again next week for the Niche Podcast. Bye. Bye. Bye.